Hello and welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It's episode 64. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons. And as always, I'm joined by Mr. Chad Owen, who, despite a little cold, is ready to bring the heat. Good evening, Brooklyn. You know me, Mike. I would never miss a recording session of Moonshots. (laughs) Colds be damned. (laughs) Those damn colds. Those damn colds. Well, I mean, we're we're two-thirds through our Brené Brown special, but we haven't given up yet, have we, Chad? No, we're taking a look at her latest book called Braving the Wilderness. And boy, have we got clips for you. We, I think we called it down from about 20 clips today. There's always way too many clips to include on, on this show. We could almost have three or four hour uh, long episodes. Oh my gosh. You have thrown such a surprise on myself and all of our listeners, Chad, uh, recommending Brene Brown, who I had no idea existed in this world until you recommended uh, Brene. And boy, I mean, these first two shows that we've done, it's been about authenticity, it's been about vulnerability, uh, and it's been about all these things that we never talk about at work and maybe a little bit at home. I find it's like it, they're, they're so dense and they're, they're so uh, rich mm-hmm. uh, to discuss, to consider, to reflect upon. As you said, we're not holding back for this third one. We're, we're focusing on her book, braving the wilderness and it's all about belonging and i i'd love to know chad before you read braving the wilderness by brene brown and you know you maybe had a sense it was about belonging how did reading the book change your perspective of what it means to belong i'm really glad that i've been able to to share brene uh, and her work not just with you with but with all of our listeners I'm always just struck at how counterintuitive what she finds is, you know, in, in her research. I think she's got very strong opinions, you know, as you've heard in the, in the clips uh, that we've brought uh, on, on the previous shows. And it's fun for me to kind of see her go into and do a lot of research around a particular subject and then prove herself wrong. And I think she was able to kind of prove herself wrong a little bit about what it means to belong. And so we're, we're going to get all into belonging in this show. She's got a really cool acronym around uh, this word braving and even, you know, go into one of my favorite topic areas, social media and, oh, yes. the, uh, and, and the joys and wonderful things that it brings to us in this world. Right, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny that, that we have spent so much time looking at successful leaders, both inside and outside of Silicon Valley and trying to decode what it is that they do and asking ourselves, how might we do it? But in the process of doing that, we're, we've definitely come out with a starker and a view of social media, particularly if you take Cal Newport and Brene Brown together. I mean, there is almost the case for seriously tuning down our social media use. It's, it's, it's such a good conversation to have right now. And that's really mm-hmm. the context of her book of Braving the Wilderness. It, it, it's so very timely. I, I wonder if we were to, before we jump into it, uh, Chad, if we were to set ourselves an interesting challenge, which is to ask uh, the question, why, why does this book and why do the thoughts around belonging, why are they so important to talk about now? whether you're trying to create a new product, build a company, or just be the best version of yourself, why is this important to talk about now? What's your thoughts, Chad? I think that Brene, in all of her books, certainly the ones that we've profiled here on the show, in all of her books, she gives us a really interesting novel perspective on leadership. So I think if you just kind of sprinkled the the theme of leadership on top of the past two shows in this show, there's a lot that people that lead teams or people that just lead other people uh, can take away from this. Because I think often leaders, the best leaders are maybe sometimes too focused on others and in serving others. And I think Brene is asking us to look inward and be Mm. sure that we're taking care of ourselves and, you know, we're in a good place so that we can lead others Mm. better. And I think it's also just about 
uh, building cultures and creating environments where people thrive, you know, by taking care of them uh, on this kind of emotional, woo-woo, touchy-feely level that many of us don't like to talk about. And so that's that's why I find mm. uh, all of her work so refreshing and, and so applicable to, to you and I and what we're doing and, and hopefully to our audience as well. Yeah. I think you've said it really well. I think we are in a bit of a shift away from the industrial age command and control style leader. We've had themes in past such as servant leadership, humble leadership, and I think we're definitely seeing constantly, I don't know if you've seen the recent news about the CEO of the hot startup called Away Luggage. Oh, yeah. Who's been caught being caught berating staff on Slack and publicly shaming them. And it's such a perfect news item that fits perfectly to this book because Brene Brown says, you know, nothing ever good good comes through shame. And the bigger point I'm trying to make here is I I think we've reached a point where I think all leaders now know that they need to care for the people around them. And I think where Brene Brown stands alone is that her work tells us that if we want to care for others, we need to care for ourselves first. Mm. And that's being yourself, having the courage to be vulnerable and belonging to yourself first before you try and fit in with everybody else. So I think her topics are wonderful. And we've been talking a lot about the previous two shows. Chad, where should all our listeners go if they'd like to check in on an old show, get some show notes, uh, check out all our social stuff. Where is the destination? That would be moonshots.io. You can also email us at hello at moonshots.io. Mike and I both get those emails. We love our listener feedback uh, through the interwebs. You can also find all of our future episodes for our next author we are going to be diving into, but you'll have to stick around to the end of the show to figure out who that is. <laughs> Okay, let's get this party started, Chad Owen. Where do we want to kick off a journey, a deep, rich journey into our third and last book in the Brené Brown series? It's Braving the Wilderness. What's the clip to kick it off? We're going to have a bit of an inception moment. We'll have a a clip inside of a clip here. (laughs) But one of Brené's sources of inspiration is Maya Angelou. And this interviewer is playing a clip uh, for Brene and, and getting her reflections. And it's all about, you know, the big theme in the book and what it means to belong. You describe in the book that one of the things that provoked you in this concept of true belonging that kind of lingered with you was an interview between Bill Moyers and the late Maya Angelou. Here is the clip from that interview that you reference in the book. Listen. Well, at some point, you only are free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. Um, you, the, the price is, is high. The reward is great. That's Maya Angelou speaking to Bill Moyers in an interview on public television back in 1973. And Brene, you said in the book that when you heard that, for a long time you thought, well, that's wrong. How can somebody belong no place and every place? And something about that just raked you as not making sense. Yeah, I'm feeling very teary. I didn't, I didn't know you had that clip. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very powerful thing. You know, Maya Angelou has always been a constant guide for me in my life. I discovered her 30 years ago when I was a poetry major for a brief period of time. Um, and... I every I, I've I've hung on every word that she has said, written, you know, just saying, just I love her work. But when I came across this quote, it I mean it actually kind of pissed me off. I was angry. Like I thought, how can someone so wise say that true freedom is belonging nowhere, everywhere? Because as someone who's always struggled with belonging. I I feel like I can mark my life by night belonging from the time I was in kindergarten, high school, college. Even now, I I really struggle with belonging because I don't I don't find a lot of other people who think like me or their jobs look like mine and I struggle so I'm like, God, you know, Dr. Angelo, you're wrong. It's it's the free there's no freedom in belonging nowhere. We have to belong. And it wasn't until I, I mean, and I, it made me angry because I liked us aligning 100% on all things. Hmm. Um, 
But then as I started digging into this research, I there was a moment when I was sitting with my husband on the couch and I was going through a list of speaking requests and I came across one that said, come speak at our church. We really like you. We know you're down home, but you cuss too much. So we need you to change the way you talk because you'll offend the faithful. And I kind of felt bad and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I thought I belonged there because I kind of think of myself as the faithful. And then like two speaking requests later in the pile, it said, hey, we're super excited to have you come talk to our company. It was a Fortune 100 company. We saw you speak at this leadership summit, and you talked about your two main values being courage and faith. And we really love that, but you need to not talk about faith while you're here. We don't talk about that here. And I was like – I looked at Steve, and I'm like, oh, my God, I belong nowhere I mean, I I don't – like, am I a leadership person? Because that's – actually, most people don't know this, but I spend 90% of my time kind of doing leadership development and culture change work. And so I was like, I'm not really a real leadership person, clearly, and I'm obviously not a faith person because I cuss too much. Um, I belong nowhere. And Steve looked at me and he said, you belong anywhere where you just go and you – do your work from your heart because every time you do that, you nail it and you speak to people in a real way. And I was like, yeah, maybe I belong nowhere. I belong everywhere. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait. I was like, oh, my God. That's it. Belong everywhere and I belong nowhere. The thing that's powerful, Joshua, about that interview is that the clip you played was the clip that I played for my class. Um, I actually read the segment to them, but I had never finished watching it. And so – When I had this kind of epiphany moment with Steve, I ran into my study and grabbed my laptop and found the interview on YouTube. And if you keep listening, Bill Moyer says, so you don't belong anywhere. You don't belong to anything. And Maya Angelou pauses for a second and she said, I belong to Maya. And I like Maya very much. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's it. Our level of belonging can never exceed our level of self-worth, our level of belief in self, our level of belonging to self. And when we have that, we carry belonging with us in our heart. Who we Chad Owen, did you lead strong? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Ah, damn, that was that's pretty that's heavy. That's a bittersweet G- symphony there on the end of the, the clip. Oh my gosh. I relate so much to what she said then. Like to give you an example, uh, when I think about place, you know, I was born in Sydney and grew up in Australia but spent 16 years of my career, uh, 10 in Europe and six in the US. So I come back to Australia and they're like, geez, you sound and look different. Geez, you have a different point of view. So, you know. Yeah, they say your son has an American accent. He's not even (laughs) talking like an Aussie. (laughs) Yeah, so, well, who am I? Am I an Aussie, an American, a Dutchman, an Englishman? Because actually... Every single one of those cultures look at me as being, well, you're not quite from here. Mm-hmm. So where am I from? So I think that's just an example. I am sure, Chad, this is resonant for you because like you're born you you are a total Brooklynite, but you're not from Brooklyn, real from Texas, right? Yeah, you almost got a little bit of Texas twang there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Tejas. So well, then who are you? Where do you belong, right? Well, yeah, I I think this is a universal experience. I think if all of us look back, you know, there was some point in our childhood or adolescence or teenage years where, you know, we were frustrated with life and the world and didn't feel like we belonged anywhere. And this power that Maya Angelou's pointing to, owning that, I think is really special. What Brene does through her book is really give us uh, some of the kind of practical uh, ways of thinking about things, even like a little bit of a philosophy and how we might better belong. And kind of paradoxically, it's like by not belonging, we're, we're belonging. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the snake eating its own tail sort of, Mm. uh, sort of thing. But I just love how, to me, how 
much I relate to that story, relate to Brene's experience, but also Maya Angelou's experience of just feeling like you belong, but also don't. Yeah. And um, as always, Brene Brown, what we have marveled at with her, she took Cal Newport's research and data-informed approach. She's taken this to a whole new level. We, In fact, this next clip, she's going to get into some of the thinking behind it and really defining what real belonging is. So let's have a listen to Brene Brown talking about the research behind belonging and perhaps even giving us a definition. One of the things that we should definitely get into as we as we continue our conversation with Brene Brown on her book, Braving the Wilderness, is some of what you've learned through your research about some of these yeah. principles, particularly this idea of true belonging. Now, you describe yourself as a qualitative researcher rather than a quantitative researcher, meaning you have people kind of tell their stories and you draw patterns from their stories. G- give me your definition of what you call true belonging as you learned from your research. I It actually surprised me. I mean, my research has a tendency just to kick my butt for about a year and a half and challenge everything that I'm doing in my own life. And then I write about it once I can see straight again. And so... <laughs> I always thought true belong- I always thought belonging was something we negotiated externally. I always thought it was about being a part of something bigger than us. And as it turns out, true belonging is very much a spiritual practice and it's about belonging to yourself and believing in yourself so deeply that you find sacred both being a part of something but also standing alone when called to do that. And I think the thing that I love most about true belonging is when we really belong, we're never asked to change who we authentically are. We're at, we, it demands, belonging demands that we be who we are. And so for me, the big ahas in this research were the fact that sometimes true belonging requires standing alone and that assessing situations and groups of people and then acclimating to fit in is a huge barrier to real belonging. The fitting in as a barrier to belonging is really interesting because I would almost have defined belonging as fitting in. Yeah. And that's where you called it out at the beginning, Chad, how there's a tension in her insights because they disrupt what you know to be true. And I think what you're digging up here is just a classic example of that. What she's demonstrating to us is that we make all these concessions on who we really are to try and fit in, Mm -hmm. to be part of the crowd. But her whole body of work goes to show love yourself, accept yourself for who you really are, and uh, you'll find that others will love you for that. And actually the big compromise is the attempt of fitting in. Yeah. And it's interesting, even as I'm like unpacking the language in in my mind right now, belonging is a much more kind of like a state of being and fitting in is more of like an active sort of word. And so that, you know, the act of fitting in and changing who we are makes it not belonging. Mm. And she says, belonging demands that we be who we are, which I think is really, really interesting because certainly in the work context, we can often find ourselves becoming someone else when we go to work and then kind of reverting back oh, to ourselves yeah. when, uh, you know, when we get home. And I think uh, even at work with different groups or cliques, you can be, mm. you can become someone different to, to fit into those different cliques. And so I think for me, this is just kind of telling me to be a bit more mindful about how much I'm fitting in versus how much I'm belonging. I'm, I'm, I'm so there. Like my life, as I mentioned, geographically has been in four different countries. So already I'm so acutely aware of fitting in and belonging. I think when we arrived in Amsterdam in 2000, I think I may have met five or six people that lived in the Netherlands mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of them were related to my job, of course. and. So I'm so acutely aware of this, and perhaps that's why I relate to it a lot, but also in my own attempt, and it's nothing more than an attempt, I I wouldn't say I'm any master at this, that what I discovered some seven years ago is that I wanted to just be the person that I was and do the stuff 
that I love most. And I didn't want to end up being some exec way up the totem pole in some monolithic advertising holding company. That that wasn't the world that I chose for. That wasn't me. And that has brought to me so much goodness in life because maybe it's just I feel more comfortable in my own skin than I ever have. I'm not saying I've reached the point of utopia, but that was a big turning point in my life to say, you know what, I'm just going to try and be a little bit brave and just do stuff that I know is what I'm I'm born to do. Mm. Yeah. And I think now as we move into kind of the middle part of the show, we're going to kick it off with a clip that is kind of an encapsulation of the entire book uh, in one acronym. So bear with us here. It's 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 a lengthy it's yeah, long it's a lengthy clip <laughs> but i think she's she's talking about all of the important kind of attributes and values that we can become more mindful of as as we're becoming you know aware of you know what it means to to belong and and maybe not compromise so much but here's here's Brene breaking down the seven parts of braving braving is the acronym we use b is boundaries you set boundaries. When you don't know what they are, you ask. You're clear about what's okay and not okay, which is, as you know, so hard for people. Yeah. It, boundaries are really hard. Reliability is the R. You do what you say and you say what you do. The big hard thing about re- reliability is you're not hustling for worthiness, so you're not completely overcommitting and not delivering. Yes. That's the reliability issue. A is accountability. You don't back channel and blame you hold people accountable in a straightforward way. V, which I think is really interesting, is the vault. Oh, the vault. Can we talk about the vault yeah, for a the second? Vault. The vault is so huge because in this culture and in this time, I say this with my friends all the time, like, I'm going to tell you something and it's got to stay in the vault. Right, <laughs> right. It has to stay in right. the vault. And once that goes, if anyone violates that, and I've had it happen before, something shuts down in me. Oh, it does. It's it's hard to come back from it. Yeah. What people don't understand about the vault that's really interesting to me too is that you call me in and you, you know, I'm saying, I don't understand why I got the position. You say, look, we've got some trust issues that we need to work through specifically. I want to talk about confidentiality in the vault. And I look at you and like, Marie, I have never shared a single thing that you have told me in the 10 years we've known each other. And you look back at me and say, yes, but you come in here on a regular basis and share things with me that are not yours to share. It's the other side of confidentiality. It is not only do you not talk out of school between us, you don't come in here and say, hey, look, I know what's going on with John, blah, blah, you know, or this is what's happening with, you know. So, because when I do that, and I, I do that to get connection with you, I do that as a bid for connection. Let me tell you what's going on that you don't know about. Yeah. But when I walk out of the office, you trust me less because I'm using stories that are not mine as currency. Yes. So we've got the vault. Then we go to I, integrity, which is choosing courage over comfort practicing your values. And this is a big one. And I think we have this in common. And I I love this about you. It's choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, and easy. You know, we have a culture of fun, fast, and easy. We have a culture of people who don't do discomfort. Um, And that's, I've never achieved a single thing in my career or life comfortably. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then we go to in for non-judgment um, you can ask for help without feeling judged, and I can ask for help without judging myself. And then generosity, which I think is probably the, the biggest, hardest one for me sometimes, which is when something happens, I assume positive intent. So if things go sideways between us, yeah. I'm like, damn it, Marie, I'm so pissed off. I go and say, let me assume the best. Help me understand what happened, Marie. I thought we had a plan around this. Yes. And I give you a chance, a benefit of the doubt, before I launch into my anger. Yeah. I think that one's probably the most difficult for me as well. The one I can see where I instantly jump to conclusions or I can watch my mind go right. to the worst possible right. scenario. I right. did it with my family the other night. Mm. Here's the question, Chad. Which one of these boundaries, reliability, accountability, the vault, integrity, non-judgment, and generosity of those uh, acronyms of braving that all help us belong better which one do you struggle with the most? I think I, I straddle 
the line between reliability and accountability, which if you know me might sound a bit strange, but I think it comes to the fact that I'm an overcommitter. And so I will often overcommit in all areas of life. It's like, oh yeah, I'll see you on Friday night and then I'll see you on Saturday and then I'll see you on Sunday. And then before I know it, I turn around to my wife (laughs) and it's like, whoops, I forgot to spend any time with, or, you know, schedule any time with the most important person. It's like, uh, uh (laughs) uh-oh. And, and yeah, Uh. being, uh, being held accountable to, to that overcommitment. So I think, um, I think I, I, I have a little bit of an easier time with, with some of the others. How about you? I'm totally non-judgment, totally. One of the biggest struggles all my life is jumping to negative conclusions about the behaviors of others. Hmm. So one of the things that I found in my journey was a quote from the Dalai Lama, which was not to assume malice upon others. And um, that was the first time I had like a, whoa, and this is something that Brene talks about a lot. Mm-hmm. What if everybody is is trying their best? Like you cannot you cannot assume that they're trying to make a mistake or they're trying to underperform. Like if you assume everybody is coming from a good place, and so therefore, rather than jumping to conclusions and being negative very judgmental maybe you just take a breath and go okay i know that i know that they this person has good intentions this this thing didn't work properly or we didn't deliver the thing when we said we would let's let's approach it from a hey i know you tried mm-hmm. right and there's another great saying around this which is never judge a man because you never know the battles he is fighting yeah i th- what I think what's at the heart of those is compassion. Yeah. I mean, you said the Dalai Lama, and that's like the first word that that comes to yeah. to mind. Yeah, yeah. We have a an interesting clip here, actually, that's kind of talking precisely to both of those uh, sayings that you bring up, Mike. As uh, as Brene is kind of elaborating on what she means when she says, you know, setting boundaries. One of the most shocking findings of my work was the idea that the most compassionate people I have interviewed over the last 13 years were also the absolutely most boundaried. Because they, so I'll give you a great definition of the the definition of boundary that I use in the book. Boundary is simply what's okay and what's not okay. What I think we do is we don't set boundaries. We let people do things that are not okay or get away with behaviors that are not okay. Then we're just resentful and hateful. Me, I'd rather be loving and generous and very straightforward with what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and I did not, I, that I learned from the research. I was the a- exact opposite. I, I assumed for the first 35 years of my life that people were sucking on purpose just to piss me off. That's what I assumed. Um, that, yeah, right. Whether it was someone who worked for me or it was someone who, family member who was constantly like, I was always critical and judgy. And I was like, why are they choosing these things? Why are they making their choices? They should know better. And then when this thing came up for my therapist, what if people are doing the best they can? I thought my husband had the most beautiful answer to that question. He said, I'll never know whether people are doing the best they can or not. But when I assume people are, it makes my life better. So now I think I am not as sweet as I used to be, but I'm far more loving. Hmm. Hmm. Well, there it is. I sort of, I sort of kind of set that one up pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I think the, the thing we're starting to get into here for, for our listeners is like, if there's a, a new habit that you can build here, is just don't assume the worst in others. Mm -hmm. And the way I would try and sell uh, this idea to people is it just costs so much energy to get angry, to get judgmental, and to get vindictive. And invariably, people who are unable to do the right thing or people who are having a challenge, what 
what I would pitch to people is is when you enter into that conversation in a non-judgmental, not assuming the worst mode, you'll find that you're actually able, you'll have permission to get to the heart of the issue a whole lot quicker and get to a resolution and a, and a positive way forward a whole lot quicker. Because if you do go into these conversations judgmentally, well, then the first thing the, the other person's going to do is put up the barriers, aren't they? They're just going to put up the defense. Yeah. What I'm taking away from this uh, around boundary settings, what is okay and what is not okay is actually quite practical. I, I've, I've sort of started to do it, I'd say like in the last two months, I want to give a shout out to Daniel Stillman, fellow facilitator out there, uh, turned me on to this practice where essentially anytime you get together with a team and doing any kind of work, whether that's something as simple as a meeting or you're taking on a big project, just simply go around and, and set some of your boundaries, like what is okay and what's not okay. So for me, it's not okay for someone to be on their phone when I'm having a conversation with them. Mm, and mm. I'll say that so that it's not a surprise when I get irritated when I'm having a conversation with you and you have your phone out. Mm. Um, and I mean, it, it can be very serious or it can be kind of very interpersonal. It's really up to you and your team's working style. But I think at the beginning of any kind of project or endeavor, that's actually a really helpful exercise because you know, what Brene is saying is like that it just builds up resentment amongst the parties. And so I think you can short circuit a lot of uh, dysfunctions in a team if you just are really clear uh, at the outset what is okay and what's not okay and just kind of, you know, come to and, and, and consent to, to what is okay. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's what a great tool at home or at work because, you know, if you are to use Brene Brown, stepping into the arena, things are not going to go exactly how you plan. So there's going to be some problems. There's going to be some tough conversations. So not assuming the worst and setting that boundary is fantastic. But it kind of leads us towards these ideas of generosity and integrity and, and, and how we want to conduct ourselves. And I think it's so interesting, Chad, isn't it? We find ourselves with everything that Brene Brown um, brings. It's almost like it's a door into more thoughts, more ideas on how not only we can interact with others, but how we have to almost sort ourselves out first mm. before we can really be our best with others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's going to drop another uh, acronym on us, but I think it's <laughs> it's elaborating yeah, on the idea of boundaries and, and how it maybe touches on some of the ideas that she talked about in Braving. So my question is big, B-I-G. What boundaries need to be in place for me to stay in my integrity and make the most generous assumptions about you. But generosity can't exist without boundaries and we are not comfortable setting boundaries because we care more about what people will think and we don't want to disappoint anyone. We want everyone to like us and boundaries are not easy. Um, but I think they're the key to self-love and I think they're the key to treating others with love and kindness. Sustaining. Sustaining. You can't, nothing is sustainable without boundaries. Nothing is sustainable without boundaries. I, I think that's my favorite part of that clip. Mm. And um, do you, when you think about these boundaries, um, let's set ourselves this challenge. If what would our listeners do differently now knowing what we know so far, which is we've talked about belonging is not about fitting in. It's about being yourself and there is this braving framework and we're focused a lot on the B, the boundaries. What's the habit or the thing that they need to do to adopt in order to make this boundary setting come alive? I'll, I'll go back to my previous statement. I think we need to talk about the boundaries more and make them more explicit and, and known. So if there are uh, things in the interactions that our listeners have with others that don't make them feel good, then rather than, uh, than holding those in, actually share, hey, you know, when we're chatting, can you please put the phone away? When we're chatting, can you pause the television? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, I mean, th those are very simple things, but it could also be when I'm talking, please let me finish and listen to what I have to say. I mean, it could, it could be stuff like that. 
Oh, yeah, I love that one. Mm. Mm. And you know, another one that I've I've proposed but haven't quite gotten uh, agreement to is like when I'm with some of my family members, agree to not talk about another family member when or, or family member and their partner, right? When they're not there, right? Because that's that's interesting because she actually talks about that when you get something shared with you that shouldn't be shared with others then when you when you share that that confidential or that uh, those thoughts and they're not in the room actually what you're setting is a message to others that I'm going to be talking about you when you're not in the room mm-hmm. and so it actually yeah, which, actually which breeds that distrust, distrust yeah. yes and so unknowingly you might think it's fine because the person's not in the room to talk about them but anyone else who's in the room and you're talking about the person not in the room you're sending a message to those that are literally in the room. You're saying, when you're not here, I'll be talking about you. Yeah, but I, I don't want to uh, gloss over the one you mentioned, though, Mike, that when we're talking, I want to be able to finish before you interrupt me. Because um, how many oh interactions gosh. is that not the case? <laughs> like most of them, probably? Oh, my gosh. It, it is, and and it's, it's, it's about being patient. And what I've also learned in all facets of life is sometimes process of just talking it through and repeating some things is part of people coming to terms with the idea or with the implications. So said differently, I know we've got to talk it through again because this is your way of getting your head around it. Mm -hmm. Like I might be like, yeah, I got it. Let's move on. But for this person, they just need to talk it through. They need to revisit relay the foundation of the thinking before they can move forward. And I have a temptation to like skip and not let them finish. But what I've learned is actually if they need to go back and (laughs) restate what I might be saying, this is the obvious, they're just saying I might know it, but I haven't believed it or I haven't understood it yet. And that's why they need to talk about it. And that helps me shut the hell up sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, I think there's so many things she gives a great definition of boundary. What's okay and what's not okay. So just saying one thing that's okay and one thing that's not okay in that interaction that you're having with that person can go a long ways. And again, kind of bringing it back to the team environment, for me, it's not okay for someone to not get a voice when it comes to that particular meeting. Mm. So even if I'm not leading that meeting, I will point to or call on someone who's not been able to speak, maybe because someone else has been someone else has been dominating that conversation so you know th- again that's another way to set that boundary mm-hmm. and say it's not okay mm-hmm. for someone to be silenced in this uh, in this particular environment exactly exactly so how powerful like if there was one thing on the show today that all of our listeners can take it's I, I love this like what's okay what's not setting the boundaries is something that Brene Brown brings to life for us. She sets the context, the implications, and gee, Chad, I mean, we've only done the B of the braving. There's, <laughs> there's still the raving yeah, part unfor- left. Unfortunately, we don't have <laughs> enough time nor the, the clips to go all the way through, but we're kind of moving into the consequences of not living into these values and these attributes. Mm. She even calls it a spiritual crisis. And I'll just uh, play this clip, but you can see how she's got a really interesting interpretation of the current, you know, zeitgeist, if you will, and kind of explaining why uh, everything is kind of broken up into into so many different tribes. There's a line in uh, Braving the Wilderness. I read the book, and there's one of the early things that you talk about in terms of the spiritual crisis we're in. You write, quote, The world feels high, lonesome, and heartbroken to me right now. We've sorted ourselves into factions based on our politics and ideology. We've turned away from one another and toward blame and rage. We're lonely and untethered and scared. So damn scared, unquote. What's the connection that you're trying to draw between today's lack of civility, and this sense of true belonging. Well, here's the thing that I found shocking is at the very same time, we are sorting ourselves into ideological factions and bunkers. And the research shows that shows us clearly, not just my research, but everyone who studies 
social science shows that we are in factions, literally, the way we live, worship, go to school. At the same time we've sorted ourselves into these factions, we are becoming increasingly lonelier. Like, you would think the factions would at least deliver on some good connection with like-minded people. But the truth is, we are bunkered up and lonely because the connection that happens between those bunkers is not authentic connection. It's what I call common enemy intimacy. We just hate the same people. Yeah. I had no intention of writing about this kind of polarized culture that we live in right now. But as it turns out, you can't write a book on connection and belonging without being really honest about how difficult it is today, given the level of vitriol and mean-spiritedness. And so as I started talking about belonging, the research and getting into it, I thought, you know, when I interview people today, they always talk about it. They always talk about how hard it is. Because imagine if part of belonging is the courage to stand alone and belong to yourself first, not to betray your own ideas and values when you're with a group of people, how difficult that's become in the last year. Mm. Wow. Does she she sort of capture the the zeitgeist right now, particularly in the US, where everybody is is either red or blue, uh, Trump or Pelosi, <laughs> impeach or not impeach. I mean, it is it, that lack of civility has come from the that that kind of the conversation has descended to who are our common enemies and let's build factions around what we hate. Very powerful, very, very powerful observation. It was hard for me at first to understand what she was meaning when she was unpacking the Maya Angelou quote in that, you know, belonging is belonging to everything and belonging to no one or nothing. I, I didn't understand like how belonging connected to, you know, to standing or being alone. But when she's talking about these factions and how we've split into these bunkers, as she says, um, <laughs> that's actually when the, when she said bunkers, the, the visual that came to my mind was, uh, the, there's this great film called Joyeux Noel. I'm probably butchering the French, <laughs> uh, it's essentially Merry Christmas, but it tells the story of the French and the Germans in, in the trenches in world war one, where one soldier starts to sing a Christmas carol and it literally brings the soldiers out of their bunkers. So that that was just like the stark image for me is that when everyone's broken up into their factions, I think the ability or courage, to, to borrow one of her words, the courage of a single individual to go out and kind of stand on their own, share their own ideas and maybe their own perspective that's not just kind of towing the party line uh, can have a really powerful effect in moving, maybe if not moving those two factions closer together, at least actually forcing them to to actually communicate and and connect with one another so that that's where uh that's where that clip took me yeah i love it and uh, what i also like is like when you take on board some of her other thoughts around generosity and non-judgment is it already orientates you towards finding a common ground Mm -hmm. at some point we're all human so there you go there's a common ground let's build on that what else have we got oh we like to enjoy uh, a clean and civil society. Great. All right, let's move on. We want to take care of the world and, and the environment in which we live in. Okay, sounds good. We want companies to kind of do the right thing. Okay. Hey, actually, we've got quite a lot of common ground. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's the power of the non-judgment, that if you just lean into that a bit more, avoid assuming the worst and give, giving giving people a chance, I think that's the way out. But it pinpoints, I think, exactly where we've got to. The lack of civility people have got in those bunkers. And um, I think the work that Brene is doing is showing us whether in our work environment, so in the office, at home, or in society, I think she's kind of setting up for us a pathway in which we can we can just be better at this thing called being humans. Yeah, I loved her academic term, the, the common enemy intimacy, I know. which is just another way of saying the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yes. But it's very true. Like those connections ring very hollow. If mm. all you have in common is that you hate someone else, mm. how real mm. is that connection with that other person? 
because it's so adversarial and focused on the others, you're not actually turning to and speaking to one another to, as Mm. you said, kind of find your common grounds. Very true. Very true. But it doesn't stop there. We've got a few more clips to bring it home. It's not all doom and gloom. We've entered our valley of darkness and we're about to ascend out of it. And we're going to start with reframing, I think is best said, how we might think about some of the tools that we are as a society a little bit hooked on. The dopamine effect is taking place. We're getting our social media hit. But I think uh, Brene Brown has some powerful thoughts on how we might think about social media and how we might uh, set it up in our minds and in our lifestyle as a tool that we use. So let's have a listen to Brene Brown on social media. Paul emailed us, how much does social media play in this bunkering and loneliness? Reality is being made by the biggest mouth with the baddest attitude. Lonely indeed. I jumped off of all social media so that I can enjoy life the way it was when I was a child. We met people on an even playing field. Brene? He's right. I mean, we have we have started to use social media as a place to process pain. And communication with other people is not the place we should be processing pain. And so one of the things that I write about in the book is that social media is great if we use it as a communication tool, but it's not a connection tool. Hmm. Social media as a communication tool, not a connection tool. And could you imagine if we had Cal Newport and Brené Brown in a room together with us, we could say, look, you guys are so connected in your thinking, right? <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, I, I never would have suspected. It's one of the joys of uh, recording this podcast and doing all the research with you, Mike, is two unlikely thought leaders coming to very similar conclusions and reaffirming conclusions. Mm. Now, if our listeners are, are, are wondering about Cal Newport, you can go and find all our Cal Newport shows on uh, moonshots.io or in your podcatcher. But I do really want to share this tip. Having done that show on Cal, it uh, has encouraged me. I have actually taken all social media uh, off my home screen on my iPad and on my iPhone. It's all buried away in a folder. And you will not believe, Chad, I think I use social media less now by a factor of 70% less, just because I think it's when it's sitting there on the homepage, how can you not say, I mean, you're just like, ooh, dopamine hit. Click, right? What's happening? Click. Um, so yeah, but Cal told you to delete it entirely. Right. I, I would challenge you to just to get it get it right off that device. All right, and this is where you and you and Cal are <laughs> are on your own, Chad. <laughs> you guys are hardcore. You're monks. You're the real monks amongst us. I'm just uh, I'm just uh, a halfway house on that one. <laughs> yeah, I well, I just I think I'm allergic to the factions. Yeah, me too. I hate uh, it. I hate it's, it. It's it's just it's too much for me. And on the other side, you know the 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 famous uh, young girl Greta. I even find that traumatic, even just to listen to to all of that. Regardless of the message, it's just no, nah, just doesn't work for me. I just find it such a polarized conversation. But Brené Brown doesn't stop at saying, hey, reframe the tool, I think she's encouraging us to speak our real thoughts, isn't she? Yeah, to help us understand what she means by belonging belonging to nothing or no one, she has this idea of speaking truth to BS, which is a fantastic kind of Texas sort of way to phrase something. <laughs> um, but it's, it's actually much, uh, much deeper than that in, in how uh, sometimes the way we communicate isn't even really acknowledging our our shared humanity. So uh, here's Brene talking about speaking truth to BS. Speak truth to BS, but be civil. And so when I think when we see hateful BS on social or in person, we need to speak truth to it while maintaining our civility. Um, one of the scariest trends that I see right now, not just here, but globally, is rampant dehumanization of people. 
Hmm. We, you know, every genocide in recorded history has started with dehumanization. And every dehumanization effort has started simply with language, what we call each other, the names we call each other. And dehumanization is, an, is, an, is a tool, and I'll tell you why we use it. We use it because we're actually not biologically wired for cruelty toward each other. We are not wired for hatred, violence, rape, murder, beating. We're not wired for it. And so in order to allow ourselves to do it, to be cruel to other people, the first step is that we have to dehumanize them so we can push people we hate outside of the circle of protected humanity. And what you see from the right and the left right now are people using language that pushes people outside of humanity. Um, And so when I see that kind of stuff on social, I will just delete you. Mm -hmm. Because it's not a political debate. It's a debate about humanity. What side of humanity are you on? She's swinging. She's swinging. But it's so true. I mean, this for me is like all part of how you can lead, how you can uh, belong in the right way, which is, you know, a common thing is you may have heard the saying, you know, don't drop to their level. And I think this idea of dehumanizing people it's sort of breaking some cardinal rule. Like we should always respect each other and find common ground around the fact we are human. Mm. And it doesn't have to be quite as extreme as maybe the genocide examples that she's bringing up. Albeit those are very important lessons to learn. But I think as we go about our day to day, oftentimes we like to lump groups of people together, it could be, oh, the engineers or, oh, management or, oh, (laughs) you know, we kind of label a a group of people. And I think what she's pointing to is like the lack of the specificity of the individual and the person and the human, Mm. uh, which can get lost when you use labels like that. Mm -hmm. And so for, for me, kind of what I'm taking from this clip, I mean, aside from the fact that, yeah, there's some really deep lessons to be learned about the language and how it's used to dehumanize others. I think a bit closer to home for me is like, just be wary of labels that you apply to groups of people because that is also, you know, maybe to a slightly lesser degree, that's, it's, it's still a dehumanizing and de-individualizing sort of thing to, to, to say. It is, it is. Um, So there you have it. So we've got like social media, think of it as a communication tool, not as a connection tool. And speak truth to BS. You know, we are all, all, all people, humans, moving bodies, um, and always elevate the conversation with that, that braving framework of boundaries and reliability and so on. So what I, what I think we've got to now is, is a point that kind of reminds us, uh, that if we want to belong, that really kind of starts with being present inside of yourself and being the person that you are. And then when you think about sharing you as a person with the world, there's really important things like not assuming the worst and how setting the boundaries of what's okay and what's not okay can set you up for a better conversation. And particularly when you respect the fact that we're all human, Mm. this is where things really get moving. But we've got one last thought, don't we, Chad? From Brene Brown. Yeah. In the, in the interest of leaving us with some very practical advice, things that we can all go back and apply in our day to day, Brene is just going to share a practice that comes straight from the book that, that's one of her favorites. And we'll leave you with that same practice. There's this part from Braving the Wilderness that it really changed me. It's the practice that came from the book. And it is Don't walk through the world looking for evidence that you don't belong because you will always find it. Yes. Don't walk through the world looking for evidence that you're not enough because you'll always find it. Our worth and our belonging are not negotiated with other people. We carry those inside of our hearts. And so for me, I know who I am. I'm clear about that. And I'm not going to negotiate that with you. I will negotiate a contract with you. I will negotiate maybe even a topic with you, but I'm not going to negotiate who I am with you because then, and this is, I think the heart of the book, 
then I may fit in for you, but I no longer belong to myself. And that is a betrayal I am not willing to do anymore. I spent the first 30 years of my life doing that. I'm not willing to betray myself anymore to fit in with you. I just can't do it. Yeah. Don't try and fit in because you end up becoming the person that you're not. That is, I mean, there's a lot of big thoughts in this book, but that's got to be, Chad, that's got to be right up there, doesn't it? Yeah. To, to not negotiate who you are but you thought but you thought you were doing the right thing because you were just trying to say the right things wear the right things listen to the yeah, right music or just please so the right people yeah powerful stuff huh yeah yeah i i'm so thrilled to hear the reaction both from you mike and our listeners uh to brene brown mm, i've i've mm. been a fanboy of hers for quite some time ever since i saw her her tedx houston talk it's got to be at least six years ago now and um Unfortunately, we, we you know we only we only did three of of her books, but it, I, sure. I think it's it's uh, more than enough to drop some some excellent knowledge from from Brene yeah. to to you and the listeners. It's so cool too because she's like, yeah, I'm like this researcher on you know vulnerability, authenticity, and I I'm meant to be the expert researching about it, but all her research provoked not only new insights about the data and the science, but she confronted herself with her own behaviors like it evoked this whole personal journey she wasn't even expecting Mm -hmm. and she's so open about it that's what's so great she's just like well i realized i wasn't doing half the stuff i should have been doing (laughs) how great is that 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 someone in her position and of her 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 status now is capable of saying you know what guys like this has been as tough for me as as i'm sure it's been for all of you (laughs) yeah yeah, and I would highly encourage everyone to pick up any of her books. They're fantastic. You can start with the books that we've profiled here on the show. Or for all of you Netflix subscribers out there, she has a Netflix special. It's very good. It's kind of like an extended TED Talk. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It's 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 very good. And um, we're just going to continue on the author train, aren't we here, Mike? Well, it's hard to get off it. We get a lot of a lot of good feedback, which we really appreciate. Actually, one of our listeners, Ryan, here in Australia, sent me a message just with the Roosevelt quote, mm. the man in the arena speech. And that's all he had to send me. And I was like, I hear you, brother. I hear you, brother. Yeah. It was such a um, great note to receive. And uh, as we said in the last show, we've been getting lots of people reaching out either about uh, Brene or cow, and we still get um, uh, messages from listeners about Simon, Simon. Sinek, <laughs> the heavyweight champion of the show. Um, Most popular moonshots oh my episode Lord. of all time. Oh my Lord. I don't think we'll ever break that if we record to the uh, heat death of the universe. Yeah, uh, 64,100 listens. Um, that one's a bit of a heavyweight. But um, Cal and Brené have inspired people equally um, it's been great, but I think we're going to do a little bit of a bit of a turn, a bit of a pivot in where we're going. We're going to go to undoubtedly the he- classic, oh, classics. Come on, Chad, where are we going to go? Jim Collins, who I'm sure you've all heard of, if not him, you've heard of his book "Good to Great" uh, or "Built to Last." He he's another academic type like Brene, while he's not in academia, like like Brene, his approach is very data-driven and the, you know, the case studies that he has across all of his books are just really fantastic and very widely applicable. So I'm excited to bring some, some very applicable learnings from these case studies and the kind of meta learnings that he draws from those case studies. And again, what it takes to build companies that last, how to make make them into great companies and then how to have more purposeful companies going after Mm. uh, big things to be great by choice. So we've got three great shows on three fantastic books from, from Jim Collins coming up. Absolutely. And I want to share with everyone that Jim Collins was, is easily one of the most inspiring and informing uh, business leadership uh, authors that I have ever read i mean good to great came to me at a time that i really really needed it and um, i still use so many of the the principles from jim collins so i can't wait 
uh, to get into that. I really like him. And I know lots of you like our show because we are getting a ton of ratings and reviews on iTunes. I I actually haven't looked on the Google store. I should actually. So I want to encourage everyone, if you've got this far in the show, you're a true survivor, um, and we would just encourage you to jump on your favorite podcatcher Give us a review, give us some stars because that helps others find the show and we'd really appreciate it. And as always, Chad loves a good email. So what's the email address, Chad? Hello at moonshots.io. Goes just right into mics in my inboxes. Yeah, so let us know what you're thinking and feeling about the show, what we should do next. Um, it's been fantastic to to have you all on this three-part journey into the world of Brené Brown. Chad, we owe all of that to you. Thank you for bringing Brené to, to us. Uh, are you going to spend, well, what happens next? Are you going to have a nice hot lemon tea, clear up the rest of that cold? What's what's next in Chad's evening? I don't know. I've got, I've been revisiting a couple of Brené's books, so I might, uh, I might cuddle up with uh, one of her books uh, this evening and, and, and finish it. Nice. Nice. Sounds good. Well, I'm going to jump off to the office. You're going to jump into bed and we hope all of you, our listeners, jump into some more Brené Brown and get ready for Jim Collins on the next episode of the Moonshots podcast. Thank you all for joining us. That's a wrap of the Moonshots podcast.